Just give us a very brief introduction about yourself. Okay, so I am uh, Flavio. I am uh, 29 years old. Uh, (laughs) I live in Rome. And uh, I don't know, there's so many things I could say about myself. And at the same time, there is so little to say about myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I have very average hobbies, you know, like reading, Mm -hmm. music, uh, video games, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I don't know what uh, I could say that is interesting to be more specific about myself. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it also, yeah, you know, it's difficult to define oneself, you know, whether it's interesting for other people because you never know what, what one person is interested in, you know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, maybe to you, you're more like used to yourself. So you can see from like a third exactly. person exactly. perspective how people see you yeah. and how people actually... Every person has different interests. So Exactly, you... exactly. So you can't really tell for sure what makes you an interesting person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell me about feeling like a castaway firstly, because I mean, it's an issue that probably some of us, you know, probably go through in our adulthood and whatnot. But your experience was very unique to me. That's why I was like, this is worthwhile to listen to and to, you know, hear a little bit more about. So when did you start feeling like a castaway in your family, in your society, in your culture in general? Probably um, in my childhood it started and I guess for many people is as well uh, mm-hmm. since many things that we deal with in life are things that start in the childhood mm-hmm. uh, I've had problems with my peers uh, since mm-hmm. uh, yes I was in elementary school basically mm-hmm. and at start I didn't quite realize why what's going on was going on right it's just after you know many years uh, mm-hmm. after the fact that you realize uh, mm-hmm. not like the immediate reason why it happens right mm-hmm. like i understand what is for example the topic of ridicule because if you're getting ridiculed you understand immediately why you're getting ridiculed right mm-hmm. or um stuff like that but the real reason why um you might get in ridiculed for something, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I was the button for uh, you know anxieties in the life of other people, even when um, just people don't realize it, right? Yeah. And when I was uh, in elementary school, for example, mm-hmm. it wasn't more about anxieties because, of course, children have anxieties. I'm not saying, of course, yeah, they do. But it's more about um, figuring out how, you know, society works when you're a child, right? And, you know, emulating a little bit power dynamics that you see in societies or behaviors mm-hmm. that you see in, uh, in adults. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there is a little bit of, you know, uh, I want to call it playful spite or like playful... Mm-hmm. Um, not breath, because children don't <laughs> don't really uh, wrathful. Uh, still, you know, ch- children can be mean to each other, right? Yeah. But it's not that you know, uh, adult spiteness. You know, it's more like 
I will, I will call it playful because I don't know how else to call it. But still, when you're, when you're so a child, it's, it's you very, that, very know, childlike and very playful, but yet very, like, very mean. And yeah, it, it actually, anyway, yeah. You're a child. You don't have exactly. the, the knowledge of an adult to, you know, uh, categorize it and, you know, analyze it in this, you know, distant way. I can analyze it like <laughs> this because I'm not there in that environment <laughs> anymore. Right? Yeah. Uh, when you're there in the moment, it, 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 it sucks. And it sucks, especially when, mm-hmm. um, when it slowly uh, drifts, drifts you from the, from the social network that you should be a part in, right? Because you start being less mm-hmm. and less socialized and yeah. this problem starts to multiply in a sense, right? Yeah. It starts to have a multiplicative effect. And mm-hmm. um, uh, it becomes also an issue on your development, right? Because you start to being less and less um, experienced, let's say, with how mm-hmm. uh, being socialized in the world works. Because yeah. it's not something that you learn um rationally something that it's like it's embodied knowledge it's more so like your body knows how to do these things yeah and when you don't know how to do these things you develop for example anxiety right mm-hmm. so these are all problems that could have, can be called development de- developmental problems yeah right? and it's like accumulation and, of like a lot of issues that are coming together yeah. and creating this roadblock or something that you cannot actually surpass easily it's like you're saying they're lingering with you as you grow up, mm-hmm. although they're, you know, from your childhood and you're able to fully detect that these are children or it's just like playful mm-hmm. bullying or whatever it is. It still does have this very lingering, long lasting um, adverse effect on your personality and your development as a person, which Absolutely. is, yeah. Especially when you're, Right. Um, I've al- I always was the, for some mm-hmm. reason, the single person to get bullied because I was also always the one, the, the easiest target mm-hmm. because of many reasons. I was the shortest, I was the poorest, mm-hmm. you know, I was the weakest and everything. So it was very, I was easy pickings, you know, that's the, that's the term. I was easy pickings. Mm-hmm. And so it was easy, you know, to uh, explore. Mm-hmm. Um, power dynamics of oh I am controlled you're not in control or mm-hmm. I get to hurt you you don't get to hurt me stuff like that yeah but this was um, especially amplified when I had to take a sick leave from school mm-hmm. and when you take a leave from school at that age like in elementary school it's so impactful mm-hmm. on your um, yeah. on your development mm-hmm I see. Well, that's very unfortunate. And it also takes us to um, something that you have actually disclosed earlier um, about your existential crisis, if we would uh, be able to yeah. describe it this way. When you were like walking down the street, I would love for you to tell it. Um, uh, I don't know if you call it the uh, existential crisis but it yeah. was the the beginning maybe of an existential crisis or something yeah. mm-hmm. um so and it was just like a sudden realization right mm-hmm. uh, some might call it like an epiphany or some or you know if you have uh, a religious uh, leanings into something uh but it was just like you know one day i was 
walking down the street, it was afternoon, it was literally a normal day, right? Yeah. And I don't remember the exact age because it was so long ago. It was like 15, 16 years ago, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, like the weight of some things that I already knew struck mm-hmm. me all at once. And I started developing this anxiety about the world, but not exactly about the world that I lived in, like, you know, all the social circles around me or like the culture I lived in, but just the weight of issues like Mm -hmm. uh, homelessness in general Mm -hmm. or, you know, problems of economic or like um, societal problems of that scope and weight, right? And mm-hmm. I know it's kind of uh, almost cliche, you know, to say, oh, you're worrying about homelessness, you know, <laughs> welcome to the club, right? Who doesn't worry about homelessness? It was more like the, um, the existential meaning of homelessness. Like the, yeah. I couldn't comprehend why anybody would be homeless, right? To me, mm-hmm. it was like a, log- a logistical error. Like there was some form of, computer that was making a mistake yeah. and for some reason somebody was not getting an ounce or something like to me it was yeah. impossible that mm-hmm. homeless people exist somewhere and it was so um i know it was i almost want to call it um a sublime experience you know in the sense that i couldn't quite wrap mm-hmm. my hand around it like it was like bigger than me and i was just struck almost in awe to the experience Mm-hmm. And that sense of like being smaller than the world in a sense, right? That feeling mm-hmm. of powerlessness yes. compared to all of these issues that were striking my mind all at once. That mm-hmm. sort of that that's that started just like that, you know, like wow, there's so many problems and I don't know what to do about them, right? Mm-hmm. But then it developed into interest about these problems in developed into even more anxiety about these problems mm-hmm. it developed into you know so many other things and it was basically the start of you could say teenage angst right yes but when where teenage angst you know points some people to i don't know metal music or something right <laughs> yes and that's it. It, it that instead i just got struck with all this existential anguish and I don't know, never really got rid of it. I just learned to learn from it in a sense. I learned to not simply be, I don't want to say victim to it, but let's say victimized from it. But and just, yeah, like being aware that there are people who are victim of these, you know, of prejudice, basically injustice and. Yeah, and yeah. think systematically, I want to say. It led me to think systematically. It led me to think that things happen for a reason. You know, mm-hmm. just things just don't happen. There's always a reason. Mm-hmm. It led me to think about why things happen, you know, think retroactively in a sense. Yeah. And, and that's it, very hard to fathom and very hard to compute. It's very hard to, like, yeah. wrap your head around the injustice that takes place. And you really cannot... Yeah. do anything to hinder that from taking place and it's very mm-hmm. it just brings well, you it that was sense a very of... intrusive thought like i yeah. didn't have any any mm-hmm. input into it you know just all of a sudden here think about this existential crisis have fun 
Yeah. And how did that change Flavio as a person and your perception of the world? How did that change how you deal with your surroundings and your place in your society? Um, I try, I try and, you know, I really try to always be sympathetic towards other people. Mm-hmm. Um, even when there are people that I consider horrible, like I try to consider, well, why is this person like this? Why is this person doing this thing? Right. Mm-hmm. But it's less about, what can I say? It's less about like some vague yeah. uh, Christian value about Tony other cheek or something like that. Right. Yes. And it's more about, I want to understand why this person is behaving the way he's behaving. Right. Yeah. I want to understand what is the reason for this behavior at this particular moment, right? Because sometimes there might be something that I can do to Mm. mitigate the situation, right? Sometimes I want to understand why they're like this so that I can avoid it or I can make other people avoid it, right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's just simple curiosity, you know? I am a very curious person and I'm going to confess, sometimes I treat people a little bit like social experiments, you could say. Like, I just want to (laughs) see why people do things that they do just to Mm -hmm. understand it a little bit, learn it a little bit. But it's not like I use them as guinea pigs, like, oh, now I'm going to make this person suffer (laughs) so I can see them, you know, react to the suffering. No, I... I'm not that kind of even scientist or anything like that. I don't, I don't, I don't plan things. It's so very instinctive, you know. I just, you know, uh, ride the wave yeah. in a sense. I see the occasion that presents itself to me, and I just yes. try to analyze it's it in, from mm-hmm. very different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Again, perspective that I am allowed to entertain, right? Because you you can never ever. 360 uh, view on something you know there's always going to be a blind spot there's always going to be something that you fail to consider you're Mm -hmm. never going to have the whole information about the person in fact you never have the whole understanding of a person and especially i never have the whole understanding of a person you know i'm not like i don't have a database on people i'm not some you know um psychoanalysis genius or some or something (laughs) But I'm still I'm very interested and I was always very um, yeah. understanding in a sense of the psychological situation of people um, from really from like this from childhood. I was always very keen on the mm-hmm. psychological states of other people. Some might call it empathy, you know, but empathy is such a big term that it's yeah. hard for me really to embrace it because people would call it themselves empathetic and then behave like bastards so it's really hard to (laughs) that's totally fine do you consider yourself an empath or not though because that's a very interesting thing so you have empathetic traits you believe that you have some form of empathy or sympathy towards this world but you don't consider yourself an empath is that correct I, i think that calling oneself an empath is like patting oneself in the back you know Oh. sometimes I see stuff as a form of absolution that people do to themselves. Like, oh, at least I'm an empath, you know. Oh. I know I'm empathetic. <laughs> I know that uh, I am, you know. It's yeah. like they are self-validating themselves, which, by the way, there's nothing wrong sometimes with some self-validation, right? Yes. But I 
see them doing it as a form of absolution, you know, like, oh, yeah. it doesn't matter if I'm a complete toxic piece of shit sometimes because at least I'm an empath, you know? <laughs> exactly. So it's, it's like, mm. it's a very redeeming quality. Like, hey, I could yes. be a bastard, but, you know, I'm an empath and deep down it's inside. Also, <laughs> exactly. And it's also very low hanging fruit in a sense because, yeah. Everybody can claim to me an empath because deep, deep down, everybody is empathetic. You know, everybody is like a human trait almost yeah. to recognize the emotions that other people have. Like we have a whole psychological structures in our brain to recognize when a person is angry, when a person is sad, when a person is melancholic, yeah. you know, it doesn't yes. you know, take uh, much, of course, not for everyone, right? Because there's people that have... Uh, inabilities or difficulties right and i sometimes also do i'm not like some as i said i'm not some form of psychoanalysis genius right yeah i'm not uh impeccable and even though i'm interested in this thing sometimes i fail to recognize uh, a state right mm-hmm. um sometimes i fail hard you know to the point where sometimes i even have doubted that <laughs> i have any capacity in actually being empathetic towards people because you know, sometimes a person might have been, I don't know, sad or angry, and I just didn't know what to do with them, right? I just mm-hmm. tried to distract them in a way, but sometimes it's not exactly what you should do. Distraction is not the right tool all the time, you know? Yeah. So I definitely have, maybe that's more about me being uh, not properly socialized enough. So we go back to square one, as I say. Exactly. But yeah, I'm not, I'm certainly not, not do not have some innate gift of uh, direct connection to somebody else's um, inner monologue, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. I just try really hard, but I don't try really hard just out of some, you know, Christian belief or something. I just try mm-hmm. really hard because it's, I want to say entertaining to me, but it's not meant in a negative way. It's like, it's like as entertaining as people like to do anything else you know as people like to uh, how can i say this that i think this is um how kant views uh in pleasure in some intellectual things like mm-hmm. feeling your own mental faculties at work yeah it's its own form of reward it's its own re- mm-hmm. form of pleasure mm-hmm. so and this can be selfish for some people, but I feel like everything is selfish more or less. And it's not, and that's not really an, an mm-hmm. a bad thing, like things being selfish or behaviors being not selfish. Selfish maybe is morally loaded. And I don't even want to say selfish because people can also do not selfish things for their own gain for their own pleasure right people delight in being helpful right yes but there is a very like very negative connotation or you know the stigma around being self-aware or you know selfish in a sense knowing your own urges Mm -hmm. and your own needs and your own desires and so on and sometimes actually entertaining those thoughts and it could be you know um interpreted as that's very selfish like you're such like a selfish person, but maybe you do feel like that's a necessity to you to have your own like identity and your own sense of self. Like it's a necessity to be somewhat selfish in a manner, you know? Yes. And no, like, okay. It's kind of 
complicated, but I'm trying, I'll try to make it yeah. as simple as possible. So I agree with the notion that it is very useful to be aware of what do you want, yes. right? Because mm-hmm. first of all, to lead any kind of good life, you should try to be as honest with yourself as possible. Yes. Right? Yeah. You shouldn't be um, under illusions, let's say. You shouldn't be uh, led to falsehood in a sense. When you have when you have wrong information, you make wrong decisions, right? This is like true for yeah. everything. Yeah. You have to have the correct data to be capable of arriving to exactly. the right conclusions, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So if you already start with mixed signals inside of yourself, mm-hmm. you are already in a very difficult situation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be honest with yourself, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you also have to be, and I say this because I never found the a more adapt word for it. You have to be acidic towards yourself, right? You have to kind of corrode all mm-hmm. the things that are, let's say, superfluous about you to reach the core of your beliefs in a sense. Mm-hmm. So let's say that you have some beliefs about the world that were just um, put upon you by somebody else, right? They're not your beliefs in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. You have to understand that eventually, because if you have two different conflicting sets of beliefs, you're going to, you know, feel conflicted many times, Mm -hmm. right? So you have to try and ascertain which beliefs are quote unquote yours, because mm-hmm. then I would like to also open a different kind of worms, which is I don't really think there is a self. I think yes. there is a sense of identity. There is a sense of self, but there is no self. So mm-hmm. there is like this awareness that we have about things. So that's very, and- that, that's not real. Is that what you're saying? Like it's a pseudo feeling of having your ego or your one unity of self. Like how do you? Is that what you're saying? Like our perception yes, of ourselves is like, basically just like not real? No, the, no, no, no. It's, I want to say the opposite. Like the perception yeah. that we have of ourselves is real. It's very real, the perception. Okay. Yeah. But not the, the actual self. Actual existence okay. of okay. a self, you know? Okay. Yeah. That mm-hmm. is, you know, that is, so it's kind of, um, yeah, know, it's, maybe it's, <laughs> It's very abstract. No, no, it's very, I don't think it's complex. I think it's just more of like being able to distinctively describe both of those and make that distinction very clear is what kind of tricky here. But I think you made it sound perfectly fine. I totally get it. And it's also important to Mm -hmm. me, not like to me in sense like for me, but um, in my opinion. Yes. Because understanding that there is no innate you know essence in a yeah. sense understanding that you know you're always you know prone to change exactly. you're always um you're not immutable you're not yes. infallible mm-hmm. and you, you need to accept all of these things about yourself mm-hmm. right you yeah. can't 
bring yourself to be compared to an idealized version of yourself, right? You can't mm-hmm. just say, oh, but I am X, I am Epsilon, I am this and that, right? <laughs> no, you are who you are in the moment where you are, right? You yes. always have to contextualize yourself in the geographical and historical and societal moments that you live in, right? Exactly. You're prone to change. And, and that's very comforting yeah. in a sense that you can always change. Yeah, you can always Everything backtrack. is prone to change. Yes. Everything. Yeah. So that's very comforting in a sense. And also yeah, springs more of like possibility to actually, um, you know, to not believe in the absolute self that should be great or good in a sense of a matter you make mistakes in a sense of a matter you are lacking on certain aspects that doesn't mean you have to stop just means you have to reassess mm-hmm. and know where to start from because like it's all about your journey it's your own journey that's you tailor your own journey you carve your own path that's exactly how you tailor your own self and your own assets and aspects and work on them as you grow up as a person you know so I completely agree with you on that. Um, so the very <laughs> intriguing question here is philosophy and religion and how these two played a role in you developing your sense of self or, you know, after you felt like you're a castaway. Were these two aspects helpful and how were they helpful? So I discovered philosophy kind of, let's say late in life when I was already in my twenties, there's, I know there's many people that already live with philosophy from a young age. Right. Yeah. But I was never, I was not one of them, not because, um, I was like, how can I say I had difficulties, uh, reading a philosophical text or any of that. It for a worse reason, maybe because I, mm-hmm. I thought I was very, um, I was very egocentric back then. Mm-hmm. I thought that if I started reading philosophy, mm-hmm. not only egocentric, but also very silly. This is a very silly thought, in my opinion. I thought that if I started reading philosophy, I would have been infected by the thoughts of other philosophers, right? Yeah. And I would, in a sense, I, will, I was afraid to lose my own um, framework of the yes. world. Mm-hmm. In a sense, I would have, mm-hmm. you know, been assimilated by the thoughts of other people right but i failed to realize that that was already the case i mean, i wasn't just this <clears throat> you know um immutable and you know born out of nowhere entity that you know sees reality from an angle yes. i was already accumulation of you know knowledges and uh, you know material influences and you know a multitude of things i was already you know a nexus of different pressures of different flows that like you know converging a point yeah so i wasn't this you know pure and crystallized essence of something i was you know this accumulation this a mixture lot of things. yeah a lot of things yeah and yes. when i finally realized that is when i could you know allow myself to indulge in this interest of mine um, with um, not very uh, productive in a sense because my brain doesn't really let me to be productive but mm-hmm. um, I still gain insights but it's mostly um, insights about things that I already instinctively grasped because I'm a very instinctive person 
Yes. I don't um, really uh, rationalize things unless, you know, I'm talking with another person, then I have to rationalize because, you know, in order to pass information, I have mm-hmm. to codify it, you know, symbolically. So you have exactly. to rationalize it. Have to process and exactly. get into a certain conclusion. Mm-hmm. But instinctively, I already knew many things. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, they never, um, I never, you know, codified them. I never, you know, brought them down anything. It was just an instinct inside myself, right? Yeah. And seeing them written by somebody else, it was both reassuring as in like, oh, you know, it's not, I'm not having a silly thought, you know, somebody else also thought this. Also right? thought of it, yeah. And at the same time, um, I was like, wait, but if somebody else really thinks this, why don't, you know, more people think this way? Are they, do they just not know this? Do they just yeah. not reach to this conclusion or are they like against it for some reason? Right. Mm-hmm. So it, and of course, these, these are thoughts that more or less, I don't want to say that everybody has, because, you know, everybody can be different. They can mm-hmm. have different reactions towards the same information, right? Yeah. But it was still like, um, not something that I did out of um, wanting to like better myself. Because I know some people read philosophy because they like, uh, want to you know become better yeah, people sometimes yeah, right? they exactly. want to read the works of you know famous philosophers because yes. you know they deal with questions like what is goodness right what is how do you lead a good life some something like that right and <laughs> yes again to me that is um egoistic right but yeah that is also very good right not very good just for themselves but very good also for everybody else around them right yes well, that is also to show that being egoistic is actually uh, good in an ethical sense, right? Yes, it is. And um, so, yeah, it wasn't about um, you know, having more knowledge to become a better person. It was more about having more knowledge about myself. I wanted to discover, and I still want to discover, mm-hmm. what I think, not what I think about myself. That, that is not the right uh, way to say it. It's more about understanding myself period i want to understand what i think i want to unravel my instincts you know i want to codify my instincts Mm. in a sense Mm -hmm. i want to see myself reflected in what i read right which is not to say that i only read what i really agree with because that is impossible because in order to agree with i have to read it first right yes but um, and I also found many things I agree with, with philosophers with which I don't agree all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I see that many philosophers have many bits of information that are very helpful in general, right? I may disagree yes. with the whole project, you know, with the whole analysis about uh, the world in a sense. Mm-hmm. But they will often agree with many bits of information that they provide, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I, I think there's a, one particular philosopher that talks about this behavior. I think it was Deleuze. Yeah. And he says, I think he calls it betraying the philosopher. Yeah. Because, you know, you're not uh, devoting yourself to the whole project of this philosopher. You're just taking a, a piece and getting away with it. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I, I, I think he thinks this is good in a sense. Mm-hmm. And I also think this is good. Because uh, yeah. I don't think you should be completely devoted to 
you know, uh, a philosopher. It's always good to treat them correctly. So like if you're reading a philosophical text, you should try your hardest to understand what they actually say, mm-hmm. not to, you know, strawman them in a sense. Right? Yes. But at the same time, you're not obligated. You don't have any obligation to them, right? Like yeah. most of the times they're already dead often, right? So <laughs> exactly. it's not like you have any sort of you have, moral... You don't owe them anything, of course. You yeah, you don't owe them an agreement. Can... Or, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like the same way that you may, um, you know, tear a page out of a book if you particularly like that passage, you need to, you know, <laughs> tear that, uh, you know, that philosophical rule out of their system and incorporate it into your own, right? Yeah. So yeah, I think that is a very, and that helps with um, my understanding of life in many ways, because mm-hmm. um, of course I don't. I don't think I am particularly intelligent or particularly wise. I think the only wise conclusion, really, really wise conclusion ever uh, reached in life is is this: like, not do not be afraid to just yeah learn from uh, different uh, people, even if they have you know different views about uh, your world. But at the same time, you don't, you don't, you don't, you know, you don't have to give them anything back. You know, it's not something. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not a transaction, you know, Mm -hmm. but maybe this is because I don't see human relationships in general as transactional, you know, I don't see them as I give you this, you give me that, Mm -hmm. right? I see them as I I do something I want to do and you do something you want to do because we both want to do them, right? We both enjoy in doing them, right? Yes. And if it happens that your action benefits me, then I will associate myself with you, right? Mm-hmm. And if I happen to do things that benefit you, you will associate yourself with me, right? So we can both benefit of the things that we do, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not transactional. It's not, I do this for you, you do this for me, right? Yes, exactly. This is how I see any human relationship. And I mean, relationships are very loose sense, right? I don't mean this as romantic mm-hmm. relationship or intimate relationship. I think this, yeah. this is any relationship, right? Any yes. form of organizing human activity you could say right mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. of course we live in capitalism so you know the capitalist human relations are deep ingrained into the psyche of people to the point that everything mm-hmm. yeah. seems like it has to be transactional right yeah i mean everything seems to you need to have something in return actually something that you offer is not something for free or so on. And it's, it's usually transactional for most people. I'm not going to talk about, you know, certain platonic or even romantic. I think it's, it goes for every and each relationship you go through in in your life, you establish some form of like, I will give you this for a very limited Mm -hmm. period of time. And you're supposed to give me something back. And I think that's very, I mean, in a sense of manner, you know, things are supposed to go, you know, in a way where, you know, it goes both ways or so on. But I think it's very. I think the only problem is that the way that people enforce this, right? They want the other person to give them something bad when instead they should just associate with some different people. Like, exactly and it should be very are organic to, like it, yeah why are you trying to squeeze something that doesn't have any juice left in them right? <laughs> exactly yeah if, if they don't it's not how it works add value to you anymore you, you can't you can walk away there is that and mm-hmm. we're going to come to that because you're we're going to talk more about 
restrictive, let's say, relationships, aka marriage. But we're going to talk about that later. Um, what I want to talk about now is religion and how you, mm-hmm. you know, how you told me that you were, you know, going to certain like religious rituals and so on and how that made you feel. So can you please um, elaborate on that? Um, so I, I think you're referring to the fact that I used to, you know, go to church to mass see yeah yeah to yeah. mass to church <laughs> i used to also be I used in, to sing um, cool. i used to sing i was in the <laughs> was in scout organizations and yeah. many scout organizations in italy mm-hmm. uh, especially in rome where i live mm-hmm. are um uh, christian of course are catholic not christian they're catholic which is different yes. So I was uh, deep into that um, sort of fabric of society, right? I was deep into mm-hmm. Catholic social relations, we may say, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so while at the same time, I always try to be mindful of my Christian influences, you know, because obviously I live in Italy. I was raised uh, loosely Christian, right? And I yeah. went to these, you know, Catholic uh, gatherings, meetings, mass, how do you want to call it, right? Mm-hmm. So I definitely have Christian influences. You know, I, all, I definitely have these flows um, inside of me. But I, all, I also try to be very mindful of them. You know, I try to recognize when I do something because I want to mm-hmm. do it, why I want to do them, right? Sometimes I might want to do them because, you know, somewhere in my brain there is this one of the Ten Commandments that uh, wants me to do something, right? <laughs> yeah. But I always, yeah. you know, again, I also tried, always try to understand why I want to do something, right? We always come back to that. Uh, yeah, uh, the incentive behind what you're oneself. doing. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Understanding that everything is, you know, egoistic in a sense and that, that sort of thing. And um, yeah, but since since when I was a child, you know, since uh, I was going to mass since I was a child, I always understood. And I say this understood not as in, uh, you know, an expert might understand something in their field and more yeah. about my understanding of yeah, things sure. and my limited understanding of things, right? That's true, yeah. I always understood um, religion to be a form of a cope and I mean this mm-hmm. in the most um, honest sense, because yeah. I know uh, nowadays cope is a form of almost insult, like how oh, you're yeah. coping about things, right? Exactly. Like it's a form of uh, perjury. But yes. no, it is a form of you know cope uh, for the world, for many people, right? Mm-hmm. For some people, it might be like an honest metaphysical investigation about the nature of the universe, right? Mm-hmm. So they might be uh, Christian because they really believe about... Um, some metaphysical tenets of Christianity, right? But for the majority of people, it's a cope. You know, they're trying to cope with anxieties and with the feelings, you know, of alienation and of conflicts between uh, themselves, like we talked about before, right? Mm -hmm. And they try to cope with all of it, with with religion, right? Yeah. Of course, this understanding when I was young was very, you know, limited. Mm Mm-hmm. So um, how do you look to hear to the people who are actual believers or, you know, they actually abide by certain like rules and they adhere to them? Um, 
to you, like how, how does that, you know, let's say affect your society or the place you live in or your friends or those who believe, does that actually affect them in a positive or a negative manner? Well, so it was funny at first because I thought that people viewed Christ like, you know, somebody in my view, Superman, right? Like some <laughs> yeah. identity with which you can, uh, um, in a sense, challenge yourself. You know, you yes. can hold yourself to the standard in a sense. Yes. But of course, you can't hold your like you can't hold yourself to Superman. You can't hold yourself <laughs> to Christ, right? <clears throat> yes. It doesn't kind of... Um, unreachable goals um, which is ironic because i did go through a phase where i was i almost had like a christ complex right oh Uh, like where i um thought to myself well i'm suffering so much there must be a reason why i'm suffering so much right maybe i'm suffering because so other people don't have to suffer something like that right again Mm -hmm. it was a cope right it was a form of uh, coping in a sense exactly Hmm. um uh, so I thought it was like that, but I I didn't really believe that people actually believed about the existence of um, mm-hmm. uh, the Christ God, right? Because there's debate about the existence of Christ himself, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like the human. Uh, I don't, I'm not like exactly sure now what the consensus is about his existence. I believe most uh, historians think uh, he actually existed. I think there's enough proof to um, um believe existent but I'm, I'm talking about the christ god you know i'm talking about yes. the figure of um, the son as you might say right yeah um so i thought that was just you know um an idea you know a fictional <laughs> person that um people just really 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 liked right yeah but again, I was a, ch- a child, you know, I couldn't possibly, you know, understand all the complexities about religion. It was a very ch- childish understanding exactly. of, uh, of religion, right? But it, that also never really um, moved. Like, it obviously changed, but it didn't mm-hmm. move. I didn't become, you know, more of a believer. If anything, I became more of a non-believer. Right? Yes. Hmm. And... I never um, shamed people for it besides when I wanted to be mean or edgy, you know, sometimes you <laughs> yeah. just have these impulses, right? Yes. And to be fair, Italian society really helps with that because for being a very believing society, we also, we also have, I don't know if the most amount of blasphemous words and pairing of words in the world, I don't know. It's like, you can just YouTube entire videos about creative blasphemy essentially it's like infinite (laughs) amount of them and i remember particularly there was this this one moment in my childhood again i think i was 13 i was going to school and there was this shirtless dude with like a gold chain with like the cross of christ right (laughs) and he was like repairing some electrical outlet and i swear to god i heard him say like uh Eight word blasphemy sentence with oh the God. Christ gold chain on his fucking neck. And it was so, I don't know why I still remember it. It was so oh, striking no. to me for some reason. Oh, so I mean, I, it, it, please go ahead if you want to. I just, continue. I remember, yeah. um, I remember it really made me understand that, first of all, people have you no know, conflict of interest between themselves, right? Mm-hmm. 
but that's also something that everybody knew since the dawn of time right yeah because yeah, i mean something that i had to discover myself as well right when you're a child you have to understand things right yeah, for sure. But it's very interesting, like how you perceive blasphemy, you know, in contrast to actual, let's say, believers or those people who deem these things are very sacred. And there is really no, um, there there shouldn't be anything that would, you know, make that idealized figure seem, you know, less than what they believe. So it's very interesting mm-hmm. how you perceive things. Like it's very ironic. It's very like funny. It's very, you know, but to the other part, it's very insulting. It's very bad. It's very, you know, so it's just a matter it's of insulting like, more than anything for themselves in a sense, right? Yeah. Because if they actually believe in their own mythos, let's say, right? They actually believe in those um, teachings, let's mm-hmm. say, right? Then blasphemy is all the more bad for themselves still i'm still talking about in an egoistical sense right i'm not talking about morality i'm not talking about you know some transcendental truth or essence right okay. i'm still talking about themselves their own um drives towards the world right mm-hmm. if they insult the very same thing they believe in if they insult the the morality they believe in then you know they obviously have yeah, that's Some on them. Everybody's in the life yes. or something, right? Totally agree. Okay, so I have a question for you. That might be, you know, a bit hard to tackle because it's like now you're ahead of time. You feel like you've been a castaway. You feel like you've been through this um, torment. I would say when you were a child, or you know, during your adulthood, and so on. Do you feel like being a castaway could be reversible? And would you want that to be reversed? Like, do you want to, I don't know, become a person who's more, you know, integrated into your society and your peers and whatever people are going for these days? Or is being castaway like suits you, being this online persona and having your own world and your own coping mechanisms? Which one suits you better? And would you, you know, go for, you know, what we aforementioned? First of all, I don't think a person can fully be uh, casted away from society in a sense. Yeah. I don't want to be too romantic with this phrase or something, but I think Mm. society always lives in us in a sense, right? We we were born as um, social animals. We were, I was socialized in a way or another, right? I was influenced by the society I was born in blah 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 right <laughs> yeah so with that said um i sometimes you know there's these questions on like different social media profiles and one of the questions might be would you rather be normal would you rather be weird <laughs> xd right <laughs> and i often uh, respond with uh, i'm weird but i'd rather not be right i'd rather be yeah. like normal or consider myself at least normal right because hey, what, what is consider... what, hold on though like what is considered normal though exactly exactly like... that, that's <laughs> what i wanted to get to get at right yeah because i think people feel they're weird when actually they feel alienated by their surroundings right they feel dissonant exactly that's way, what i'm right? talking about the alienation part where you feel very alienated in a form of like oh i had to go through these kind of experiences and you feel some form of like you you stand out 
as a person, at least that's how I perceive you or I perceive the people who I would like to have on my show here. Because it's just more of like, you went through some very uh, distinctive like um, experiences that made you the person you are today. But it would be very like dismissive for me not to point out that, you know, the other route, which is I can completely see, at least me, how I perceive it is that I can see them interacting differently. I can see them doing things in a very distinct way. And sometimes I'm like, well, I can't fit in that category. You know what I mean? I can't be there. Mm -hmm. I'm here, but I don't know what's here. I don't know this alienation. Let's say this very gray zone, this limbo I'm in. What is it? Because I can see people within. I can see people who are with me in that certain like limbo or a place. And we're not even on the same level of that limbo. We're in different parts of it. So Mm -hmm. the question remains is like, well, what is out there? Because it does feel like I'm in a different margin of this societal experience i would say because if a person asks me you know about my childhood or my adulthood i wouldn't say it was completely normal in terms of social interaction or even close to that and i don't know what normal is but i know that what i'm going through isn't (laughs) you know what i mean so yeah it's very perplexing in a certain manner so you said it well you said you know societal experience right yeah Again, everything is an experience. It's not like like a fixed identity about yourself. It's more like an experience that you make mm-hmm. about the world. Exactly. Right? And yeah, when I exactly what I mean, I, I'm weird, but I'd rather be normal, right? Yeah. I'm talking about being capable of experiencing yeah. your surroundings yes. as you know normal or like familiar or family, uh, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. But instead, I feel them completely. Well, like completely because you know i'm italian and i like pasta so i'm exactly i need to be uh, <laughs> i'm a conformist in some way or another yes but um i still feel very alienated from my surroundings i still mm-hmm. feel very unfamiliar very um like not like i belong here right yes exactly that's that's but that's it's just so like it's just such an like it's very arduous to actually get to the roots of that, right? Because you have a yes. sense of feeling, but when you try to actually get the structure of it and try to actually, you know, detect what's going on, you're like, oh, hold on a second. I, mean, <laughs> I don't I have, have the right I have my words. I have, I have my theories, but <laughs> it's less about the singular thing, right? Because it yeah. would be nice to, you know, pinpoint a singular reason and then exactly. go scapegoat it, right? And yes. that's like, Sometimes that's what, for example, fascists do or racists do. Like they, yes. they, they have one scapegoat and they're gonna literally burn everything to the ground for mm. it, right? Mm. But um, no, reality is not as simple as it seems, right? It's There's not. a lot of reasons. It uh, is not. A but... big reason, of course, yeah. is uh, as I said, capital. Right? It's the capitalistic world that we live. Mm that you know drives us to competition drives us to always thinking that we might be i don't know poor with the next paycheck right yeah Uh, then we you know there's always this sense of precariousness and you Mm -hmm. never know if you're gonna make it the next Mm day right yeah like the goal in life for a a lot of people and of course me as well uh, is Mm -hmm. to make it right as in not to be threatened by the existence of capitalism anymore right yes so that is yeah. certainly a huge uh, pressure, right? 
yeah but some things are also like you know did you have the right family you know do you have the right circle of friends right do you have uh, you know the experiences that you needed in your life in order to grow up mm-hmm. in a way that resonates with your surroundings right which for example i didn't you know because of my childhood because of my adolescence you know because of yes. all the difficulties and bullying mm-hmm. and abuse that i had to endure right mm-hmm. but so yeah it's never a singular thing you know and even if i am able to recognize the multitude of things that might mm-hmm. have contributed to it mm-hmm. i still find it impossible to give it a weight you know like yeah. oh how much did this actually contribute <laughs> you know it yes. seems impossible it seems like things just reinforce each other right mm. so you can't have one without having the other right mm-hmm. so it's yeah it's very hard to ascertain the basis you know and sometimes yeah. therapists will try right you go to a therapist you talk about yourself mm-hmm. and many therapists have told me oh it was because your family for example right? yeah. you have this problem in your family and this led you yes. to be blah this this and this right mm-hmm. but I always rebut to them that, you know, if I didn't have all these problems growing up in school, right? If I had an actual support system and if I, if I have friends, if I had good teachers, if I had, you know, mm-hmm. this and that, this, you know, my dysfunctional family would have been such a, a big problem, right? Because I mm-hmm. would have had some support system, right? And the mm-hmm. opposite, right? If I had a good family, yes, it would have been better because even if I went to school and had problems, I would have had something to back myself up on, right? You would have had a family or something, right? Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. it's, you know, again, there's multiple reasons to why I'm like this today, right? As with everything, you know, everything, as I said, as a reason and not mm-hmm. a single reason. It's always a multitude of things, right? Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, like it's... Yeah. Again, I try not to blame people or things right i try not to play the blame game mm-hmm. i always only want to try to understand things and finding reasons why mm-hmm. things happen right because mm-hmm. um like do you personally believe that this blame game um is somewhat like it won't be lucrative to an actual like conclusion oh, yeah. to why you're here so like yeah, it's very it's not only destructive but it's also mm-hmm. an impediment you know, yeah. when you go through life with resentment, you're mm-hmm. not affirming yourself. You're just getting caged by your past. You know, you're just mm-hmm. getting caged by uh, these problems that you have. And you, so you, you, you should try not to be resentful or remorseful yeah. against other people, but also against yourself, you know, because people sometimes they really, mm-hmm. they really blame themselves and they hit themselves and they like, you know, they suffer because of, what they think themselves are, you know, oh, I'm not enough, oh, I'm a bad person, stuff mm-hmm. like that, right? And don't get me wrong, I suffer from this as well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I am a bad person. Sometimes I do bad things, right? Yeah. But the thing is not to being driven by this masochistic mm-hmm. uh, instinct of hurting oneself, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean this in a very broad sense, not just in a you know, physical sense of masochism, right? Yeah. People can be masochistic in a variety of ways. They can have self-destructive behaviors mm. and whatnot, right? Yes. People should just try to, you know, recognize these instincts, recognize these problems, and be mm-hmm. more affirming, 
uh, in mm -hmm. their lives, be more not just positive, because positive is a very vague word. Yeah, and, you know, being positive nowadays is also kind of I don't want to say very, a lifestyle. It but is counterproductive. Like, though. like being always positive. That sometimes it goes, you know, against everything you're aiming for. That's just personally how I see it. Like I can be yeah, very yeah. positive, but having this positive attitude all the time, I don't know. It just hinders me from seeing things for what they are, if that yes, makes any sense. Exactly. You, yeah. So there's a difference between being affirmative and being positive. Right? Exactly. And when you, you should try to be affirmative in a sense that you affirm yourself, you know, you, okay, yeah. I want to not suffer. I want to get better. I want to feel better. Right. So you have yeah. to, um, you know, affirm your wants. You have to affirm your needs. And again, this comes back to understanding what you want, you know, understanding what you are, you know, uh, yeah. to being acidic with your beliefs, right. To try to corrode anything yeah. that might um, stop you from affirming yourself, right? But at yeah. the same time, also affirming yourself doesn't mean that you have affirmed yourself over others, you know? Yeah. It's not about uh, you taking what you want from other people again, right? It's not about forcing people to, you know, to give uh, uh, you what you want, yes. you know, trap themselves in this game of, I give you something, you give me something, right? Okay. It's about being affirming what you want to do, the things that you like to do, and then finding people that are compatible with what you like and what you want to do, right? So it's mm -hmm. about forming, you know, a society where people can just meet people um, that are, uh, let's say, they have affinities with themselves, right? You have to form groups of affinities. Exactly. And just work towards, mm -hmm. you know, similar goals. Yeah. And this is a very broad way of putting it, right? But mm -hmm. it may be as practical as, as you know, having an intimate relationship with somebody with somebody else, right? Yeah. Or with, uh, you know, opening a fucking ice cream stand <laughs> or something. Right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be this vague philosophical Nietzschean uh, discussion. It's a very practical thing, right? But mm -hmm. again, when you do things affirm affirm affirmatively i don't know how to pronounce that correct um instead of with like resentment and remorse yeah. and dread on yourself mm -hmm. it's always more beneficial towards you and towards everybody around you you know mm -hmm.